Well, good morning, church. Welcome as you're here at Worship at Gitwell. For those that you are here in person and online, my name is Greg Meek, and I'm excited to be with you as we begin this new series called Identity in Jesus. Understanding our identity in Jesus ultimately begins with us asking the question, who am I? And then this question leads to further questions such as, who made me and ultimately for what purpose? Since we are beginning to uh, be in a new series to ask these questions, we are going to go back to the beginning because that's where we need to start. It's the time of creation of humankind in Genesis where God is making humankind in his image and we find that we as humans are made in the image of God. So remember, we're going to ask today for purposes of this, of this talk is, who am I, who made me, and for what purpose? And I have to tell you, I'm really excited to be here to talk about this day because this is a subject, the image of God, that I devoted much time and study with in my seminary classes. And I have to give you a, a, a statement here. There is nothing that I'm going to tell you today that is a Greg Meek original, okay? It is seminary professors that I have really come to know and love and trust that have walked me through this process for me to even understand what this means to be created in the image of God. And I have to tell you this, I'm going to try not to be very academic, but I can't promise it at first, okay? But if you will bear with me, I hope you'll see that we're going to make a progression through this to where we can apply this to, to our lives today. You see, this topic of the image of God has been examined and explored and written about really since the beginning of the early church. All throughout the centuries and with the early, early, early church fathers all the way through modern theologians up to the present day. And so much has been written and examined and studied over what it means to be in the image of God. I bet we could fill this worship space with everything that has been written over the years and penned. And my hope and prayer today is that you guys will leave with a little bit better understanding of what it means. I laughed after the first service because I thought, how many times do I say in the image of God? Maybe, well, I may go back and count this. We'll see. So let's begin with our scripture as we read in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, if you've ever been in any type of class setting with me, you know I love to go back into the original Hebrew and Greek and explore what the, the meanings of words are. And we're going to do some of that today as well. And the first thing I want to point out here is that the God in Hebrew translates into Elohim. That is a plural word. 
So when God created, we could say they created. We know who the they is. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were there from the beginning. They created. They put breath of life into us. Now, some of these preliminary observations that we see in these passages are both that men and women are included in what we now call image bearing. See, this image that we're talking about is what makes humankind distinct from the rest of creation, from the plant world, from the animal world. And there is something that makes humankind like God, but in some way. And since God is a person, those who image him share in his personhood. This word image also in Hebrew is slim. It can mean resemblance. We are, we are created to resemble God. And there's something communicable here. We share something with God that is distinct, like I said, from the plant and animal kingdom. But there, I want you to hear this. There's nothing in our biblical text ever where we see that this image bearing that we are to have has been given to us incrementally or partially. You don't get it in stages. Either humanity possesses this image or it does not. It's not given in installments. No one can say that human beings are partially or potentially created in God's image. And we see that the bearing of children in some way even mimics or relates to the initial creation of humankind in the image of God. Now, there are three criteria I think we need to, to look at that have to be met in order for us to say that someone is created in the image of God. The first one is that humankind must be distinguishably, that's a word in it, distinguishably unique in relation to anything else in the world. There's nothing like us. We are so distinguished as human beings, there's nothing like us. Number two, every member of the human race must possess this image equally and to the same extent. And number three, this image must be shared with God's own nature, with his own being. Now, I think a good place to start is let's talk about what the image of God is not. I'm probably going to have some of you disagree with me with the list I'm fixing to give now because over the centuries, theologians have tried to explain what being in the image of God is, and many systematic theology books and commentaries have these items in them. Listen to this. Here's what, but, here's what being in the image is not. It's not intelligence. It's not rationality, it's not emotion, it's not even the ability to know God and communicate with him, it's not the possession of a soul or free will, it's not a conscience, it's not a sense of morality, and it is not the ability to communicate. That's quite a list, isn't it? So what are, what's wrong with these things here? See, that all of those, if you go through that list, we, they don't fit our criteria. They can't be said to be present equally among all of us. We don't all share these attributes equally. 
They can't be, not even, may not even be present in all human beings. And in some instances, this list is not even distinguishable to humankind. Think about it. Animals communicate, but they don't communicate verbally, do they? Do you have a dog that needs to go out at night? He's going to let you know, right? He communicates in a different way. But see, communication is just one aspect of it. What about a soul? We've always thought because we have a soul, that's what makes us in the image of God. At least that's what I always thought. But let's look at some scripture to see what it says particularly about us having a soul. Because humans are animated by the breath of God. Genesis 2, 7 says, mankind became a living creature. I want you to see that word. Those two words, living creature, literally in, in Hebrew means nefesh hayah. Nefesh means soul. Okay? It's living. It's a living soul. Does this meet the criteria for the image of God? It really doesn't. Because the problem here is that animals also have, are created as a nefesh hayah. Let's look at Genesis 1.21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Those living creatures that are animals, it's nefesh hayah. It's the same thing. The nefesh means soul. And remember, to meet our criteria, it has to be equal among humans but unique to humans. So a soul is not. What about the faculties of our mind, our emotions, our free will? Other scripture uses this same phrase, nefesh, for the faculties of the mind, emotion, and free will. And it also uses the uh, word spirit, which is ruach, which is, means spirit. So spirit's ruach, soul is nefesh. There's your Hebrew lesson for today, Okay. Look at here, let's look in some parts of the Old Testament. Hannah said this in 1 Samuel 1.15. She answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She's troubled in her ruach, but uh, she's been pouring out her nefesh before the Lord. They're interchangeable. Job does the same thing. Job 7, 11, therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Those same two words. So what do we do with this? If having a soul or a spirit is not what makes humankind unique, and scripture just shows that it's not, then we probably don't need to bank our definition of the image of God on that. Nor do we want to link our imaging with a brain or an organ of any kind that has to develop over time and chronologically. So what is this image? You see, it's not a thing that God puts in us. It's not an attribute given to us. I want you to think of this as a verb, a status. So we're going to go do a little English grammar here. No moaning, please. Okay? Let us make humankind in our image. The English preposition here is what? In. And the key to this is how do we 
view this preposition because we know in English we can use the word in in many ways. I could say, I put the Bible in the seat. That denotes what? Location. But I could say, I work in ministry. It means I work as a pastor, and it tells you my function. There are many ways in which we see in, and we can go back and read this Hebrew passage. Let us make humankind, we can put in there as our image, and we miss this translation from, from Hebrew to English. So God said, let us make humankind as our image. We are created to be God's imagers. We have the function of imaging God. We are his representatives here on earth. It's a status he has given us, and it's a function that we were created to fulfill. Remember, it has to be distinguishable from, hum from each human and other plants and animals. It has to, everybody has to possess this, and it's got to be something shared with God in his own being and nature. And it fits that bill because, you see, God created us as his representatives on earth. He placed humankind in a garden, and humankind was to represent him on earth and live forever. How were we supposed to represent God? We were supposed to reflect his image and his glory. And from there we know the story. Enter the deceiver, Satan, because his Satan's plan was to be like God. In fact, he wanted his own kingdom, not to be a servant of God. So what does he do? We go into Genesis 3. He messed it all up. He messed up creation, God's representatives, God's imagers, so that there was a separation from God. And now we don't reflect God as God intended for, for us to do. And that separation is called sin. We call it the fall of humankind. What we as Christians and we as human beings always fail to understand is the devastation the sin put on us. It transferred our loyalty from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of Satan. And I'm sure Satan was laughing when Eve and Adam ate the fruit and thought he had won. But here was something who Satan, as a created being, did not know. And that's this. The sin cannot erase the image. You see, nowhere in the Bible can we ever read that the sin erases, distorts, warps, or lessens the fact that we are made in the image of God and have that relationship. And even people's status as being created according to the image is not even damaged since it's about a special connection and intended reflection. The special connection was still there after the fall. Let's look at Genesis 9, 6 that proves it. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man, where? In his own image. This is Genesis 9. This is when Noah comes off the ark. God makes another covenant with Noah. And he says here, from, from this fellow man, I'm going to require reckoning of a life of a man. God says we're not to murder people because... They are with him. They have a special connection with him. And there's no indication that our status has been weakened in any way. 
See, this is an important point we've got to get right here. Sin did not destroy the image, sin veiled it. The original image is still there behind the veil. We just can't reflect it. Now, the illustration I gave earlier is is when we take a shower. Have you ever taken a shower with frosted glass? And y'all can laugh at this. It's okay. When you're the person that's standing outside of the shower, thank goodness, cannot see your nakedness, right? But you see an image. You see an image, and that image is distorted. The image that's in the shower has not changed at all. It's the person viewing that image through that frosted glass that sees the distortion. And that's what we, as human beings, when we look at each other, we see that image through a distorted glass. And it's why we, as human beings, fallen human beings, always have an issue with each other, right? We see each other as distortion, not as the image that God intended for us in the first place. But our being in God's image is about this connection to God and the intention of God, which are both unchanged by sin. So how do we manage this? What do we do with this? See, we ourselves can do nothing to truly reflect the original image because of our sin. But God himself, being omniscient, all-knowing, knew this was going to happen from the beginning. He knew mankind was going to fall, be separated from him, and unable to properly reflect that image under that sin. And so Jesus himself, as God, came down from heaven, became one of us, became human, in order that we now can be one of his imagers, And we know the one who came down. We celebrated his resurrection last week. So what do we learn from this? Jesus himself is the ultimate imager. Because the image of God is not found inside our bodies. It's not located in our rational thoughts or our creative powers. The image of God is Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You see, we had to have Jesus to do this for us, church. After the fall, we lost every ability to be properly imaging God on this earth as he designed us to be. And remember, Our image is still there. It hasn't changed, but it's on this side of heaven. We can never properly reflect it. That's our status as sinful human beings. And Satan knew it. Look at 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about this in 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But here's the mind boggler in all of this, that the resurrected, glorified Christ was the prototype for us, for humanity. When was it? Before Adam and Eve were ever fashioned from the dirt. And that's because before God created anything, being an all-knowing, all-powerful God, he knew that people were going to fall and determined that Christ would be the model according to humanity 
that we would have to be ultimately conformed to. Romans 8.29 tells us this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That means that we are made in the image of God by being made in the image of Jesus himself. The primary design of humanity is for us to be united as humans to the divine. So if the glorified Jesus is the original image of God and he designed this blueprint from before the beginning of time, then humanity was later created, what? According to the image of Christ. See, it doesn't mean that we possess a damaged, warped, twisted, or marred image. The image of God is Christ and it remains undistorted and nothing in scripture tells us otherwise. We were made according to God's image before the fall and after the fall we'll continue to be made in God's image but only if we can reflect that through Christ himself. See, I think for us to truly get a grasp on this and know what to do with it, we've got to examine as fallen human beings how we treat each other. Because everybody in this room was created in the image of Christ. And to do this, it boils down to these two words. It's dignity versus destiny. In reality, this should say dignity and destiny. But as fallen sinful human beings, we get this wrong or even partially right all of the time. We really don't grasp the dignity of humanity, folks. If we go into Psalm 8, that's a beautiful psalm. It's almost like a coronation song for humankind. And it doesn't celebrate the great capacities and abilities that we have as human beings. It's quite opposite. Because God himself says in Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? But we know this from this psalm is to be made in the image of God is to be given unspeakable dignity. It's actually to, he put us here almost as a king or a queen on the earth and given us as human beings the dominion over the earth. See, this dignity which we get wrong is afforded to all, the born and the unborn, the able, the disabled, every ethnic group on the face of this earth. But what do we do? We try to tie an image of God to physical attributes, emotions, intelligence, even actions. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're diminishing the dignity of another human being. Misunderstandings of this concept of the image of God have contributed to some of the greatest atrocities in the history of mankind. Misunderstanding of being made as God's imagers or representatives allowed everyone from the early church fathers forward to blame and isolate the Jewish people from society. 
the damage done by misusing the idea of God's image that's fostered over the years, the idea that some people are lower than others in the social spectrum or have a less IQ or less righteous or their relationship with Christ is not as good as mine. What we do is we turn this into a hierarchy of how we think we're better than another person. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, we never think that we're not the one that's in the image. You see, anti-Semitism, wars, slavery, racial inequality, status and role of women in society and in the church, rights of the unborn, All of this was born out of the misunderstanding that every human being is a representative of God here on earth. Every evil of this world denies the dignity of human beings. And we as Christians over the years have been complicit in this misunderstanding and ultimately in the evil as well. Just go back through church history. We just don't like to admit it. Now, what is our only remedy for this? First of all, we've got to understand our destiny. Because as fallen human beings, our destiny is hell, eternal separation from God. Let's call it what it is. We're separated from God because of our sin, and our destiny cries out for a Savior. But here it is. Our destiny calls for the gospel. We have to place our faith in Jesus Christ and lead others to do the same. Because when we speak of dignity of mankind, that does not replace the gospel. It opens the door for it. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being how renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, the image of Christ orients our own personal renewal away from the destructive power of sin. We're made in his image and our humanity is designed to now move toward him. This is why the New Testament nowhere teaches that a damaged image is restored. I want you to understand that. When we put on Christ, we're putting on Christ's image. It's not our old image. That's done. It's Christ or nothing. Rather, God is changing people, and the image of Christ is God's image. It is what people we are being conformed to. If anything, the constancy of that image provides the goal for humanity. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, and 18 makes this point. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, when Paul writes this, he's really referring back for the Hebrew people to understand in in the day of Moses, when Moses went into the tabernacle to commune and talk with God, when he came out, his face glowed so much with the glory of God, he had to put a veil on his face. The Hebrew people couldn't handle it. The veil for us is the sin. 
And Jesus removes that veil. You see, it's not dignity versus destiny. It's dignity and destiny. Neither are complete without the other when understanding us as God's imagers. Because in our society today, what do we see? We see one versus the other mostly. We see it in politics, which folks, politics will never reflect the image of God. I'm sorry. We see it in social media. We see it anything else that's associated with the world today. Because one side's going to land more on dignity and leave out destiny, and the other side's all about destiny and forgets the dignity. See, my challenge for you is when you go out into this world this week, you look at every human being you come in contact with, those in your circle even, and look at them and say, this person was created to be God's imagers in as God's imagers, as the image of God. Show them dignity and respect of that. And then if they aren't of Christ, there's your opportunity for destiny. To show them that it's only through Jesus that we have hope, we have salvation, and we have then the ability to become the imager of him. So who am I and who created me? I am a human created by God with dignity as God's imager. For what purpose was I created? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Can I accomplish this purpose? Not on my own. My destiny as a fallen human being prevents that. But what is my destiny? My destiny is the gospel. The salvation through Jesus Christ who is daily conforming me to his image so that through him I am be able to reflect him to a broken world, not me. I hope this has helped somewhat give you a little bit deeper understanding of what being created in God's image means. My door is always open. We can chat because I love to do that. And as the praise team returns, I would remind you that the rails are open for you to spend time with God. So let's pray. Father God, We just have such a hard time understanding who we are, what our purpose is, what were we made for. And that's because of the sin, the veil that we have over us. And we understand that you, you made us to be your representatives here on earth, that we are to image you, to image who you are and you knew this from the foundation of the world and therefore Jesus, you came and you made this way that not that you would change our original image, but we would be changed into you. And we image you for a broken world. Help us to treat those with dignity, everyone we see. And when the opportunity arise for those that 
in our circle, those that we come in contact with, help them to know their destiny is through you, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So we pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.